Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. How's everybody this morning? So I hope that you had a good Easter. Hope that, uh, that you had a great time with your family, with friends. Um, it was a it was a it was a neat neat time, uh, best day ever. So the best day ever to celebrate. We're excited, um, and we are here a week from Easter. And some people across the world are actually celebrating Easter today. So if you're an Orthodox, uh, happy Easter uh, for you're watching in on, on, online, and um, happy Easter to you. We're a little we we're a little early over here on on the uh, on the other side of that, but we're. Nonetheless, we're happy that you're here. Uh, if this is the very first time that we've ever met, uh, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at C1 Church, and I welcome you. Thank you for being here. If we've not had the opportunity to meet, um, I'm, I'm excited that you're here, and I'm excited that you're tuned in and watching. We, we started our online campus last week. We are live, and so if you're watching us right now, wherever you're at in the world, we just want to say welcome to you, and thankful thankful that you're here. Um, so, today I have the privilege of being able to share from God's Word today, and as, as I'm wrestling with what, what to share from, like I said, we're not, like Nathan had said, we're not in a series today, uh, we're in a standalone, and we're headed into a series next week, and I'm really excited about redemption culture. But last week we celebrated the event that changed the course of history forever. And we believe around here that it, there has been no greater event in history. Time itself literally has, has changed with, with uh, the way that we look at it because of this, this event. And there's men and women that gave their lives because they wouldn't uh, deny the fact that they had seen what they had seen and what they experienced. And they ended up giving their lives on on uh, account that what we celebrated yes or last week that Jesus came and he didn't just um, come to this earth but but he lived uh, he lived here on earth for 33 years 33 and a half years and had three years of ministry where he taught us about God and, and opened this community or this kingdom of God and then gave his life freely that no one took it from him, he offered it up freely. It was a sinless life. And he offered that as the perfect sacrifice for our sins by death on a cross, and that God raised his son from the dead three days later. And so uh, that is what we believe around here to be the, the, the greatest day ever. It, it changed everything, and it's literally why we are here today. And so... We talked about last week, Pastor Ryan actually spoke that, uh, that God made good on a promise that he made to, to uh, back in the Garden of Eden, actually, but even then through Abraham, who is kind of considered the, the, the father of faith for, for us as well, that God made a promise to him, and that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. And so, with that in mind, with resurrection because it has occurred, what I felt like today we could lean into is um, because of that, what what comes out of that, and in, and uh, we're going to dive in a little bit deeper. And before we jump into that, 
Jesus was having what we call the last supper, or the last meal that he shared with his disciples as they were celebrating Passover. Jesus, with his disciples, says to them something that had not been said before. And um, depending on which gospel that you're, you're reading from, I believe it's Matthew and Luke that, that both have this account where Jesus uh, takes the bread and breaks the bread and said, this is my body, eat. That represents my body that's going to be broken. Um, then he takes the cup, and Jesus says, um, drink this cup. This represents the blood, my blood, that's going to be shed for the remission of sin for the world. And uh, it that's what it represents. And, and he said that this is the cup of the new covenant. And that had not been said before. That had, That's the first time that that... that that had been said or that someone uh, had actually um, said so this thing we've been talking about for hundreds of years it's here specifically in terms of covenant so today we're going to talk about that we're going to look at what is a covenant because it is foundational in our in a belief if you want to understand um, <laughs> If you want to understand the Bible, you can't do that without diving into this word covenant and what that means. And specifically, we're going to look at this new covenant that Jesus said that he's ushered in or that he's brought. And then we're going to uh, answer the question, then, then why does that matter? Why does that matter? So first of all, we're going to lean into, and, 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 and then I just want to, for those of you too that are like, you'd like to know what's next, my wife is like that. She's, she's like, I just need a plan. I just need to know what's next. I want to be able to begin to anticipate. So instead of, you're like, you maybe walked in today and you're like, okay, so why isn't anyone on the keyboard or the guitar? And if that's you and you're an orderly person, you like things that are organized, you don't like change and you don't like when someone walks in and, and switches things up, today that happened and I apologize. But we are actually going to do that after our message. So today it's going to be a little bit backwards, and, and I hope you'll understand as we get further into that. But today we're starting with the message. So, first question, what is a covenant? And um, th like I said, this is foundational. This is, um, there's, there could be a very long explanation, but to, to put it simply, covenant is simply an instrument of relationship. Pastor Ryan spoke last week about in the garden when God had created everything that God had this relationship with Adam and Eve that he walked with them in the garden. That kind of a relationship. And long story short, he spoke about how sin entered the world. That man sinned. And that sin separated us from God. And that sin brought death into the world and that God is holy and God is life the opposite of death and so man had sinned and the consequences were death and separation from God so as we're looking at the Bible there are two components in, in um, maybe you don't know a ton about the Bible and that's, that's totally fine um, but there are two components there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Well, you can look through the scriptures and try to find the word testament, and you're not going to find really this ideology or this, this word of testament that's necessarily used. Um, actually, uh, maybe a, even a better interpretation could actually be Old Covenant and New Covenant. And so in the first 39 books is called the Old Testament or Old Covenant. And the last part is the new or the new covenant. And so to, so understanding that there's the old covenant, the new covenant, rather than maybe the Old Testament and the New Testament. If that helps you kind of wrap your head around, okay, so covenant is actually central to a biblical uh, worldview, a biblical uh, understanding of maybe you haven't dove in here, but that just gives you a better understanding of that's kind of the way that this is divided up. And the old was temporary. And it was God's way of having an instrument so that he could still have connection, a relationship with man who had sin and he having no sin and him being perfect and holy. And so he came up with a series of covenants. There were, uh, there were multiple covenants throughout what we call the Old Testament or the... Or the uh, Old Covenant, first section of the Bible. And this is God, in essence, making a way for relationship to happen. But it's temporary. And God made it clear that a better covenant would come. Now, you'll find pieces of this, this new covenant that is to come all over the Old Testament or all over the Old Covenant, the first portion of the Bible. You'll find it all kind of scattered throughout. But there's a book in the Old Testament that actually has like the whole thing in, in, in all of its, it's like, it's not like the Lego parts that you find as you're walking through a dark house in the middle of the night. It's, it's already put together for you and it's beautiful and it actually matches the picture on the box. And it's actually found in a book of the Bible called Jeremiah. Jeremiah and we're going to be in, uh, we're going to be in Jeremiah, wait for it, 31, verse 31. And Jeremiah has the whole, kind of this whole new covenant, this whole idea. And before he gets into this new covenant, God speaks through, through Jeremiah as he's writing, this word that he declares. And so we're going to begin in verse 31 of Jeremiah chapter 31. And uh, this is the Lord speaking. This is God. And he says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Can we say that together again? New covenant. I will make a new covenant. And this is the one that Jesus was speaking about as he's at the Last Supper with his disciples. And he says, take this cup and drink. This is my blood. It represents the, the new covenant. So this is what Jesus was speaking about. But once again, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. In other words, referring to the Old Covenant. 
It's not going to be like that. And he continues, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So it's important to note, before we head into the, the rest of this passage, that will be our main passage today, that this promise or prophecy is given by God through Jeremiah at what could be considered the height of Israel's unfaithfulness. So, so literally, in, in, in this moment, this would be at, at the... <laughs> they had not been unfaithful to this point yet in history. That's, I want you to understand this. So to give you the, the, the bigger picture, Solomon's temple that must have just been breathtaking to take in, Solomon's temple that he had built has just been destroyed in the southern kingdom of Judah by a nation called Babylon. And at about 150 years earlier, Israel had been destroyed by the Assyrians. And God had allowed these nations to come in and do this because both kingdoms, Israel and Judah, had become wicked, worshiping the idols, and had done more than broken their part of the covenant with God. And in the height of Israel and Judah's unfaithfulness, God is faithful. And I need you to hear that. And that's such good news. Because the way that we think is the way that most religions in this world work. And it's that the harder I work, the closer I get to God. Or the more that I do to appease or keep the gods happy, the less angry they'll be with me. But God has made it clear that at the height of Israel's unfaithfulness to him, if they were married, Israel has gone out and been extremely unfaithful with any and everyone that they wanted to be outside of this context, this, this covenant relationship. God walks in and, and provides a prophetic promise of a new covenant. I mean, if any of us had been God in this moment, we would have said, you know what? Like Joseph was planning to do with Mary when he found out that she was pregnant, we need to call this off. We need to call this off. Maybe you would have been uh, cool like Joseph and done it quietly, not wanting to bring any shame upon Mary, but just knowing that something's happened and I have not been with this woman. But most of us wouldn't have done that. We would have made the biggest scene we could have. How in the world could you be unfaithful to me? I thought we were supposed to be together. I thought we made a covenant. I thought we made an agreement. But Israel had done that, and God doesn't just not wash his hands of it. He comes in and makes a promise of a better covenant in this moment. It's completely backwards and opposite for the way and the way that we function and the way that we think and the way that we respond in this scenario. But somebody needs to hear this today, whether you're watching or you're here in person. Even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. Even at the height of our unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness is not dependent upon our faithfulness. God is faithful. God can't be unfaithful. It's part of who he is. 
And God promises, this is like a prophetic, uh, some people call this the prophetic covenant. Because it's, it's, it's not yet, but it's coming. And it's this promise of a time coming when he will make a new covenant. And so, the next question is, what is this new covenant? If God's telling Jeremiah hundreds of years before Jesus arrives on the scene, and then about this, and then Jesus in this moment, this final moment with his disciples before he's betrayed and then led to his execution. If Jesus is referring to this, what in the world is this new covenant and why does it matter? I'm glad you asked. Picking back up in verse 33 of Jeremiah, it says this, and God continues, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. I'm going to read that one more time. That is the new covenant. That's what Jesus was referring to. That's the pieces that you'll see scattered throughout the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And we see it here in its entirety in a book of the Bible called Jeremiah. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's the new covenant. And so, to delve in or just dive in a little deeper, God makes four promises. And these promises are good news. And these are things that were promised hundreds of years before Jesus steps on the scene, but because Jesus steps on the scene, these are four promises that now have, they've begun. They have movement. This thing that was promised is moving, is happening. And so we're going to look at the four promises in this passage in a little greater detail. So the first promise that we're going to look at that God declares is that God's law will be written on our hearts. Now, in the old covenant, the Mosaic law had been written on tablets of stone. And they actually had to do that more than once. And the reason is, is because Moses came off the mountain and saw what the children of Israel were doing, and they were worshiping. They had made this golden calf, and so Moses has a temper, and if you didn't know that, you need to read the Old Testament. And he cr throws them and crushes these tablets of stone that God had written on. And God, in his mercy... Right, we have we have a second set of of, of stone tablets. 
But God here says that with this new covenant, that it will be internalized as heart reality, not on stone, but that God's holiness and righteousness would be internalized in the believer by the Holy Spirit, imparting a new heart and nature to passionately love and joyfully obey God. And uh, in, a, in a book of uh, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, uh, like I was saying earlier, he has kind of, there's snippets of this new covenant scattered all across the, the Old Testament or the, the first part of the Bible. And in Ezekiel 36, this won't be on the screen, but just to read this to you, verse 26, this is God. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. That's what God's speaking about here. And that, that it would be a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That God's law would be written on our hearts. And the, and, and the Holy Spirit would give us a heart, like Ezekiel says, to follow God's decrees and to be careful to keep his laws. And I think it's important for us to understand that a lot of times we, we hear a passage like that and all that we can think about is that God is this mean teacher with a ruler ready to slap our knuckles the moment that we go out of line. And that's a, that's a poor view of God. If any of you in this room have ever had children or been responsible for a child, you understand this. That there's, there's an element when it comes to that role is that we are to teach and help a child become an adult that flourishes, to prepare them for life, to be able to, 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 to be the best person that they can be and to make this world a better place. And part of that process involves, hey, I know that, I know that, I know that you think this is going to be fun, or I understand that this is enticing to you, but I need you to understand, if you do this, this will happen. There are consequences. And, and whether or not there are consequences in your home, I'm just here to tell you, because I've worked in numeral, numerous places, and I've been a part in, of, of, of lots of different teams, there are consequences in, in this life. And, there's, and so there's this idea when we hear that, God's saying something like keeping my decrees and my laws that like, oh, he's just up there. And this is about rules, isn't it? And it's not. And it's not. Just like it's not about rules in a healthy home. It's not about rules. Rules don't trump relationship. But rules have to be in place. And the reason is, is because life is full of them. And there are things that at the end of the day, a child doesn't understand. And a parent does. And a parent loves their child enough to say, I, I love you too much to see you do that. I, I love you too much for you, to, for, I, for you to just not know and blindly go into it. Now, now that you know, you can make that choice. But I'm going to let you know this is what's in front of you. And that's where God is. This isn't about rule keeping so that God can... can 
can be in control. It's because he loves us, and he knows what not following his laws involves. God's law would be written on our hearts, and his Holy Spirit would give us this desire, not of, I'm scared because if I mess up, he's going to smack me across the hand. No, it's, I understand my heavenly Father loves me enough to at times say things that are not super comfortable to say or say things that may be difficult to say, but at the end of the day, he loves me enough to say it and then gives me the opportunity for me to choose what I'm going to do. I'm thankful for that. That's the first promise. Write his law on our hearts. And take our heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. And if you've come to follow Jesus and you've made that decision, you know exactly what that is talking about. I can very clearly remember the moment that I made a decision to follow Jesus. And I grew up in church, so I was all around this for my entire life, but there was a, there was, there was a, something happened that's just real hard to put into words other than to say, I can remember the moment that my heart of stone became a heart of flesh, that my calloused heart, and you wouldn't have recognized me prior to coming to faith in Christ because I was a mean person, and I was only looking out for me and I would use anyone and anything to get my way and to manipulate and to control things. And God promised, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It will be a work of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that God promises here is that God will forgive. And maybe even better, that God would remove our sin. So in the Old Testament... Because God is holy and because we had sin and the punishment of sin is death, that there was this continual sacrificing of animals for the atonement of sin. That the blood of animals wouldn't remove sin, but they would cover over it. And so that God could still have connection and relationship with his people. And that punishment could be made but that animal sacrifice did not remove sin, it covered it. And as people came in and they made these sacrifices for, man, this has been a really bad week. I've lied three times. I hit my brother in the face. Um, I stole three rocks from my sister's collection. So today we better make it a turtle dove. I know... Uh, Last week it was a sparrow. We're going to need a little more blood this time because I really screwed up this last week. So each time they would come in and they would sacrifice, there was this, this, this idea and not necessarily clarity, but I hope that this sacrifice covers over all of my sin. I hope. I hope. And so I'm sure like anybody would in that moment, you're thinking, well, let's just throw a, a, a goat in there just to make sure. It was a bad week. Let's just throw a goat in there. There's a whole lot more blood there. But never really fully knowing, like, like the sin's not fully accounted for, but it, but, it, but it covers what I did. And God promises of a time that sin just wouldn't be covered over, and we wouldn't wonder, where do I actually stand with God? And did the the blood that was shed, this innocent blood of this animal, actually cover over everything I've done. But there would be a moment when there would be clarity. And the sin would be removed. Under the old covenant, 
Salvation and right relationship with God came through a faith expressed by obedience to his law and its sacrificial system that they had in place. And sacrifices were helpful because they, they taught us, or they taught people how, about the gravity of sin. Like this week, um, we found three baby rabbits, like, mutilated in, within five feet of their nest and just laying there. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I just, I don't get pleasure out of killing things. I, there was a time in my life where I did shoot everything that moved with a BB gun. So I'll put that out there. But that was not the scene I wanted to walk into this last week. I did not want to see, we'd actually seen their little bunny burrow and they're all cute and stuff. And, but we walked out there and someone had, something had actually massacred our backyard with these cute little baby bunnies. And it was a reminder of every single time a human sinned in the old system, some animal had to die. Some innocent animal. That animal didn't do nothing. But an animal had to die. And these little things got just killed by something random. I can't imagine having to go in there and offer like bunnies to the priest and be like, Sorry, guys, I had a bad week. You're going to have to pay for my sin. I mean, I can't even imagine that, but that was a component of the sacrificial system that they were constantly reminded of, that there's this gravity to sin. There's this weightiness, and something has to die when sin occurs. And they saw this all the time. And these sacrifices taught people the gravity of their sin, and they provided a way for Israel to come to God and to cover that sin so that they could have a relationship. But it also pointed to a time that Christ's perfect sacrifice would once and for all pay for the sins of the world, and no longer would we continue to have to see these innocent things killed over and over again and wonder and hope that the blood that was shed was enough for the sin that had occurred. But it would take something huge. It would take something perfect. And this new covenant that Jesus was speaking about before he freely gave his life. This new, the new covenant believers would know fully the reality of God's forgiveness through a cleansed conscience. And if you've come to faith in Christ, you understand that. Because there's a moment when, and, and I've I've been with teenagers that in that moment, like you're praying with them in the altars, and all of a sudden they're like, when they've decided to give their life to Jesus and to serve him and to live for him and to let him get in the driver's seat of their life and to honor him, they're like, I just feel so clean. It's because the blood of Christ... was shed as a perfect sacrifice. It cleanses our conscience. But the blood of Christ enables sins to be blotted out, completely removed, to where God says, I don't even remember it anymore. Not covered, removed. As if it never happened. And this is the opposite of cancel culture. That's why I'm so excited about the series that we're headed into next week because God's way is the opposite of cancel culture. He can forgive and redeem. And he makes Walmart look bad. 
Because his return policy is so much better. Jesus' death was infinitely a superior sacrifice that was voluntary. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and he freely gave his life up. It was a once and for all. And it was both complete and permanently valid with no need of ever being repeated. Because of Christ's shed blood for us. And because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, the next promise we have is that we will have a relationship with God. And like Pastor Ryan spoke about this last week, this is what we saw in the garden. That he had relationship with Adam and Eve. This has been his heart. And even after that happened, and he had to, they had to leave the garden. Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. God still, once again, with old covenant, made a way so that there could still be connection. Even if it was at arm's length, there was still connection. There was an ability for them to be together. But God has always wanted a people. And God will get a people. God is passionate about a relationship with us. And that's why he came up with the covenant in the first place. This is the why behind the covenant. Why an old covenant or why a new covenant? It's because God wants a relationship with us. And this new covenant would be personal. That God said that I will be their God and they will be my people. And this speaks about an identity. That that we don't... That before we belong to like the state of Tennessee or the United States of America or, or, or a particular family, before that all occurred, like before anything ever happened, God was. God existed. God knew all this would occur. He stands outside of time. He's never had a beginning, never will have an end. And he is passionate about us, desires us and a relationship with us. And he wants to be our God. And that we would belong to him. That, that we would choose. Because he gives us the choice to be a part of his family. That's the beauty about free will. He didn't create a system where we had no other choice. If people don't want to spend an eternity with him, he will honor that. And that's what real love does. It's not controlling. It gives us the choice. But that, that we would be a part of his family and he would be our God. And this idea of, of having relationship with God, even as it even goes beyond just the, our relationship with him and his relationship with us. It's this communal experience too. This community of people. And a personal knowing of each individual member in the covenant community. And, and 
whether you're watching on the other side of the world today or, or maybe you're somewhere here in Columbia just watching in because you're not feeling great today or wherever we're at, we have this thing that unifies us, that we're all part of the same family and we have relationship with one another. And this relationship with God is also played out in the sense that we have this connection to the community of people that have faith and place their faith in Him. That's why we love life groups around here because we believe wholeheartedly that, that life happens in circles. Sunday mornings oftentimes are in rows or in lines, and there's moments for that, but, but growth and community happens in circles where we're sitting around a dinner table or in the backyard, living life, getting to know one another. And this idea of having relationship with God, God intended this relational component to flow into the relational connection that we have one with another as others who are a part of this family that God has opened to us. But also with this, that in a book of the New Testament called Hebrews, if, if you would like to just dive into the deep end, and even if you don't even know how to swim, you're like, I just want to jump in, um, go read Hebrews chapter 7 through 10. And it talks in great detail about what Jesus has done and all the parts that he's played in in. in and mediating this new covenant. Not only is like the sacrificial spotless lamb, but he's the high priest. And, and I mean, it just goes through all these elements of like this, that Jesus in essence is everything. He's done it all. He's, he's, he's made this happen. And, but it talks about that Jesus' flesh being crucified, how it, made a way for us to come through this curtain that you, would, that you would have found in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, like when the children of Israel were in the desert, or when they had built a temple, that there was, a, there was a, like a 60 foot by 30 foot curtain that separated the, the holy place to the most holy place, where God's presence was into this most holy place. And only a, one high priest would once a year go into this space where God's presence was was no one else could go he'd literally wear bells and continue to walk and so if they heard the bells hit the ground and not jingle anymore they'd pull on the rope that was attached to his leg so that no one else would die going in to get the body that was that was dead there was this holy reverence and fear about who God was. And, but once a year there would be one man to go into this most holy place and there was this curtain that separated all the other priests and the high priests that would be able to go in once a year. And, and Matthew records in his account that when Jesus died on the cross, that, the, that that curtain was torn from top to bottom. And it wasn't just because God was like, I'm going to do some cool stuff just because, and I don't even have a reason behind it. But God tore that curtain and opened up access into the most holy place of God's presence. And no more would there need to be a mediator. No more would we need to go talk to a priest who then that priest could go talk to the high priest and then once a year the high priest could go into God's presence for me. But because of what Jesus had done, that we have direct access to the most holy place in God's presence, no more would a mediator be needed. That the curtain was torn from top to bottom 
opening and making a way. And, and, and Hebrews talks about this. That Christ's flesh opened the curtain and made a way for us to come to God. This relational component. That no one in the old covenant other than once a year the high priest would even be able to understand or relate to. We can come into his presence. We can come to him and we have direct access. If those people back then knew what we had today, it would blow their mind. And they knew it was coming, but they had not ever been able to experience it. And that's what we have. And the last thing that God promised And the cool thing about this last promise is that although the promise has kind of begun, there is an element to this particular promise that really lends itself to the other word that this new covenant is known as, and that's it's the prophetic covenant. In other words, it hasn't happened yet. There's an element of it that's not yet, and it's that all will know God. How many of you have a neighbor or a family member that doesn't know God? that may know about him. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't know about Ashley Herzog. I know her. This passage speaks of a time that all will know God. That that's the direction we're headed. That's where we're moving. That's what will happen. Go to the bank on it. We just talked about last week of a promise that God made good on. It took him a little bit to get there, but his timing and our timing aren't the same timing. God made good on a promise, and he's promised that all will know God. And so there is this time when Jesus will return a second and a final time. We spoke earlier about this spotless, perfect lamb of God that was offered up for the sins of the world once and for all. But there's also another component to that same God. He's not just the lamb, but he's a lion. The lion of Judah. And Jesus is going to return the way that they were expecting him the first time. As a lion. Now, this hasn't happened yet. Jesus came the first time, but Jesus is coming again. And the New Testament also teaches that Jeremiah's words will not be fulfilled completely until a good portion of Israel turns to the Lord Jesus as their true Messiah and Savior. And it also speaks about that Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. But he's waiting for his father to tell him. And there's a portion where this message will be available to all. And, And the gospel message of who Jesus is and what he's done for us is in more languages and has reached more people groups than it ever has in history. But it's still not there yet because Jesus hasn't returned. But there's this idea of we're experiencing part of this prophetic promise, but there's an element that's not here yet. And we're to pray for that. Come quickly now, Lord Jesus. 
but to be a part of that. Habakkuk chapter 2, even an Old Testament book in 2.14 foretells of a time when the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. Jesus is coming back. And all of these promises, all of these things that we've leaned into today, what have we done to earn this? The beauty is we just get to choose whether or not we partake by the decision that we make, by the free will that God's given each of us. But, but what have we done to deserve that? What have we done to earn that? The answer is nothing. Jesus did it all. Read Hebrews 7 through 10. Jesus is all. He did it all. And you know what's amazing? All of these things that we would have a relationship with God, that he would remove our sin, not just forgive it, but he would remove it, would blot it out as if it never happened, and that his law would be written in our hearts and that his Holy Spirit would be put in us to not just follow rules because that's what I have to do, (laughs) but because I want to, because I love God, and I know he knows best for me, and so I'm going to follow him, even if I don't understand it or even if it doesn't make sense. But you know what God gets out of all of this? We get all these promises. I mean, sit there and listen to that, and you're like, there's got to be a catch. We get all that. What's God get? What's his angle? You. Relationship with you. That's it. A chance at relationship with you. That's all God gets. That's all he wants. God doesn't need us. It's better than that. He wants us. He wants us to love him to choose him and he places the ball in our court like love and free will always do and with that in mind we're going to we flip the order today because in response to the promises of God I don't know of any other response than to say thank you than to celebrate and to sing about the goodness of him, all that he is. Even though our words will never scratch the surface or a note that we sing will never fully thank him for all that he's done. But if you're tuned in today or you're here and you're outside of a relationship with Jesus, I want to be clear with you. It's not a say of prayer so you can get out of hell free card. 
It's not, that's not what this is about. And if, and, and, and if someone has told you that, they've done a disservice to you. But following Jesus is not saying a prayer and going on and living like the devil and doing whatever you want. Following Jesus is giving him the keys of your heart, giving him the keys of your life and saying, I'm following you, not the other way around. I give you my life. You do all this for me? I haven't done anything for you. And I've done some things, but I'm not proud of all of them. And you do this for me? Just to, for me to know me? Because you love me? And you want me to love you back? You don't need it? You want it? Are you kidding me right now? It can't be true. It is true. 